Good afternoon, everyone. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself or wonder why we keep the Passover as we do? Why don't we keep it some other way? After all, the Israelites did not keep the Passover in exactly the same way that we keep it. In Exodus 12, we read that a yearling lamb or goat was to be slain as a sacrifice and eaten on the Passover, as the first Passover, when Israel came out of Egypt. So why don't we do that? Why don't we kill a goat or a lamb and have that as a meal on the Passover? And we also read there that entire families joined together in their homes Sometimes, depending on how large the group was, there may have been others, maybe a couple of families together, but they ate a Passover meal together in their homes. Today, normally we assemble together and eat the symbols of the Passover in a congregational service. And we do not eat the Passover as a meal but each participant consumes only a small quantity of bread and wine. And while the entire family was present at the Passover service in their homes, at the first Passover, including the children, today only baptized adult members partake of the Passover. So why is that? Today, in this sermon, I want to answer these questions, and I want to take you through a historical survey of the Passover as we do that. And we will see that while the Passover law itself has endured, God has adjusted the way that that law is applied at various times to accommodate different circumstances. And that is how God operates. Sometimes... Although the principles remain the same, sometimes adjustments are made in how the laws are applied to fit the circumstances, and that's certainly true with regard to Passover. Now, we might ask, does God Himself ever change? We read in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, God said, I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And then we read in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now some have misunderstood and misapplied these scriptures to assert that nothing in God's law can ever change. However, that is not true. That concept does not hold up if you read the scriptures carefully because God is God and He is the lawgiver, as we read in James 4 and verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. God is the lawgiver. And God does not change. But God can change His law as He sees fit. That does not mean we can change it, but God can. And God has changed His laws in the way they apply from time to time in specific instances. But the basic precepts, the fundamental precepts of God's laws do not change. 
they are permanent. They endure forever. The precise way, however, in which certain laws, especially ceremonial laws, are applied, however, have changed down through the various ages. For example, in Leviticus 17, beginning with verse 1, we read, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or who kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, to the priest, and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Also you shall say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel and of the strangers who dwell among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. So there are two parts to this ordinance that God made. Now remember, this was during the time the people of Israel were in the wilderness traveling through the wilderness. They were all together. And when they stopped at a particular place, they would encamp. The, the various tribes would set up their camps where they dwelt in their tents. And in the middle was the tabernacle of meeting, the place where the altar was and where God dwelt symbolically. And in this statute that God gave to the people of Israel, we read that all animals, all domestic ruminants, whether oxen or lambs or goats, were to be brought to the altar as a sacrifice to be killed. If they were going to kill an animal of that kind, they were to bring it to the door of the tabernacle and kill it there and offer part of it as a sacrifice. And this was to help assure that they weren't killing these animals and offering them just anywhere to other gods as they had been in the habit of doing, evidently. So this was the law during the time that the people of Israel were in the wilderness. However, after the conditions changed, when Israel was given their inheritance in the promised land, this particular law was amended. Now part of it remained the same. The part of it that stated that all sacrifices were to be brought to the altar to the tabernacle to be killed there 
But that part of it remained the same, but the other part was changed. Notice in Deuteronomy 12, beginning with verse 13, God said, Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see. But in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires according to the blessing of the Lord, your God which He has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. So here it mentions wild game such as deer and gazelle could be killed and eaten basically anywhere that they happen to be. Going on in verse 20 of Deuteronomy 12, it goes on to say that when the Lord your God enlarges your border as He has promised you and you say, let me eat meat, because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put His name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and your flock, which the Lord has given you. Just as I commanded you, you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them, the unclean and the clean alike may eat them. So here we see a change in the law where ruminant domesticated animals such as goats, sheep, and cattle, large cattle, could be slaughtered and eaten just as the wild game in the country where the Israelites dwelt after they had received their inheritance in the promised land. But at the same time, it is mentioned in the same context that all sacrifices must be taken to the altar, the central place of worship to be offered. As it goes on to say in Deuteronomy 12, verse 26, Only the holy things which you have in your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses, and you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. So all sacrifices were required to be taken to the tabernacle, or later the temple, where God's altar was, and slaughtered there, and if it was a sacrifice that was consumed, such as a peace offering, then that's where they would eat the sacrifice. And that also pertained, by the way, to the Passover. We also see another instance of how a particular law was changed. Originally, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, He established the Levitical priesthood, and He decreed that one-tenth of the produce of the land, one-tenth of the increase was to be given to the Levites as their inheritance. And this was payment for their service in the tabernacle. And so the tithe, the tenth of the increase of the land belonged to the Levites, the, what we call the first tithe, because there were other tithes that had a different purpose. But a tenth of the produce that, that God said belonged to him he gave to the Levites for their service in the tabernacle. But in Hebrews 7 and verse 10, uh, 12, 
Paul is writing about this and writing about tithes specifically. And in verse 12, he says, For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. And he's speaking of the law concerning the tithe. The tithe was given to the Levites under the Old Covenant, under the New Covenant. The tithe is given to the ministry of the New Covenant to administer. So, in a sense, the law is the same. The tithe applies, but how it is administered is different. Now, in Exodus 12, beginning with verse 1, we read about the first Passover. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. In other words, it's the first month of the year. It shall be the, well, it goes on to say, the first month of the year to you speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall, you shall keep it till the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. That is between the going down of the sun and total darkness on the fourteenth day of the month as the day began. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Now notice what was done here. Each family was to take a lamb or a goat and they were to kill it at twilight. Doesn't specify any particular place where it was to be killed. Presumably it was killed where they happened to be, right around where the house was, because then they took the blood from that lamb or goat and they smeared some of the blood on the two doorposts and on the lintels of, of the houses. And they took the meat and cooked it and ate it that night as the Passover sacrifice. And it says, they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And this term everlasting here is an everlasting ordinance. 
The Hebrew is olam, which can refer to something that lasts forever or for eternity, or it can apply to a indeterminate period of time or an age, or as long as the conditions prevail, depending on the context. In this case, the Passover was to be kept, it says, throughout your generations, and in this case, the Hebrew is door-door, which could also imply an age, or it could imply forever. Now, as we will see, the command to keep the Passover continues throughout this age, and perhaps for ages to come, but certainly throughout the age in which we are living, the, the age up to the coming of Jesus Christ, and, and no doubt beyond that, but the Passover ordinance still applies today. In Exodus 12, beginning with verse 21, Moses called for all the elders of Israel, this sort of repeats the instructions here, and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. Now notice they stayed in their homes. During the Passover night, they were instructed to not leave their homes until morning. Some people believe erroneously that the Passover night is the night that Israel left Egypt. But these are two different occasions. On the Passover night, they killed the Passover in the evening. They ate it later at night after it was cooked. And they were instructed to remain in their houses until the next morning. So they certainly could not have left Egypt that night. And they did not. Actually, they left the following night. In verse 23, goes on to say, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you just to see promise that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our household. So notice what this means. This particular service is a memorial of the passing over of the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered the households of the Israelites from the death angel. That's what the Passover is about. Now it's about more than that, as we will see, but it is about that, partly. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. 
So Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. So that's what the Passover was instituted for. That's, that's what it was to be kept as a memorial of. Going on in Exodus 12, verse 43, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. Now what that means is that foreigners just passing through or staying temporarily in the land or those who had been hired as servants were not to be permitted to eat the Passover. Only circumcised Israelites or members of their households who had been circumcised were to eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Now remember, this is the original Passover. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. So God made provision for proselytes to eat the Passover, those who wanted to join themselves to the people of Israel and worship the God of Israel, they could do so if they were circumcised. And implied in that is essentially being loyal to God and obeying God's commandments. Not just physical circumcision, but everything that that implies. And then it says... He shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born, for the stranger who dwells among you. So notice that the original Passover was killed. It was eaten in the homes of the individual families. And then we read other aspects of the ordinance of the Passover, who could eat it and not eat it and so forth. Now some have mistaken the fact that the original Passover was eaten in the homes of the Israelites and assumed that that was the case throughout the history of Israel, but that was not the case throughout the history of Israel. In Numbers 9, verse 1, we read, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. Now this is after they'd come out of Egypt, a year after they had left, apparently, based on the statement here. It says, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it, so Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. This was 
after they had been at Sinai, camped there, had built the tabernacle and placed it into service. So by this time, the Levitical priesthood was operational, so to speak. There was no priesthood as such prior to this time as far as the Old Covenant was concerned, unless you consider the fact that, of course, God was their priest and Moses was, in a sense, acting as a priest in certain respects. But the Levitical priesthood had not been established and ordained. But by this time, a year later, it had been. And the nation had, in in a sense, been cleansed of its ceremonial defilement. The priests and Levites had been consecrated. And so here was the first Passover in the wilderness. The tabernacle had been built. And so here, the Passover was not killed by each family individually in their tents or their homes, but it was killed at the place, all the the Passover lambs were killed at the central place of worship, at the door of the tabernacle, where the sacrifices were to be offered. As we read in Leviticus 17, verse 8, you shall say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. And the instructions were that the blood of the sacrifices was to be sprinkled on the altar and poured out at the base of the altar. And the fat of the sacrifices were to be burned on the altar of God at the central place of worship. Leviticus 17 and verse 6, the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. In Deuteronomy 12 verse 27, it says, You shall offer your burnt offerings and the meat and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God, and the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. Concerning the Passover sacrifice specifically, in Deuteronomy 16 verse 5, it says, You may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates, which the Lord God gives you. But at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make His name abide, there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight. Now this is not speaking of the sacrifices that were offered during the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as some have assumed. This is speaking specifically of the Passover sacrifice because it specifies here, there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, the specific time when the Passover was to be sacrificed. At the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt. But notice it says you may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates. That's why the Jews, when they were observing the Passover, prior to the time when the temple was destroyed, they would go to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover to keep the feast and to offer their sacrifice, the Passover sacrifice, as well as the other sacrifices that were offered during the feast at the temple, as God instructed. In Numbers 9, verse 6, beginning with verse 6, it says, 
Now this was where the Passover was being sacrificed after they came out of Egypt in the wilderness. Now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, We became defiled by human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? Now, in the laws that God had given to Israel, there were certain things that caused ceremonial defilement. One of those things was coming in contact with a corpse, a dead body. And if someone contacted a corpse, a human corpse, then they were defiled for seven days. And they were not permitted to be among the congregation. They were, they were not permitted to approach the tabernacle or to offer sacrifices during that period of uncleanness. Moses said to them, Stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. On the fourteenth day of the second month at twilight, they may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and who ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time, that man shall bear his sin. So we see clearly here that the law had changed. People were not to kill the Passover just anywhere. They were to bring it to the place of sacrifice and they were to kill the offering there. If they were not able to do that because of uncleanness or being on a journey, they could do it a month later in the second month. But they could not just kill the Passover just anywhere. In verse 14, If a stranger dwells among you and would keep the, the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance, both the stranger and the native of the land. And we already saw that in order to keep the Passover, they had to be circumcised any foreigners, and anyone unclean had to remain out, outside the camp until he was cleansed. But provision was made for the keeping of the Passover, the second Passover in the second month. Notice in Numbers 5 verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and everyone who becomes defiled by a corpse. You shall put out both male and female. You shall put them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell. And the children of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord spoke to Moses. So the children of Israel did. So any persons who were ceremonially defiled were temporarily expelled from the camp. Only clean persons could eat of any of the sacrifices, including the Passover. 
normally. Now, there were occasional exceptions, which we'll get into later, but normally only a person who was clean ceremonially could eat of any sacrifice. Leviticus 7 and verse 19, it says, The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire as for the clean flesh. All who are clean may eat of it. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness, an unclean animal, or any abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. After Israel entered the promised land, the covenant of circumcision was renewed and the keeping of the Passover was resumed, as we read in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again for the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this was is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt. Now remember, they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So that entire generation that came out of Egypt had died with the exception of a couple of individuals. Going on, it says in verse 5, for all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the ways they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that He would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers, that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. The ordinance of circumcision and Passover were in abeyance from the time that God pronounced His curse on the children of Israel that they were to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the succeeding generation entered the land of promise. 
During that period of time, the nation of Israel was under divine sanction. And as a sign of their uncleanness, in God's sight, due to their rebellion and their sins against Him, there was no circumcision being practiced, nor was the Passover kept during that period of time. In Numbers 14, in verse 27, God had said, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints that the children of Israel make against me. And then in verse 32, speaking to that generation that came out of Egypt, He said, As for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days for each day you shall bear your guilt for one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. So notice that God had rejected that generation. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do it to all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and here they shall die. So the Passover was in abeyance for about 40 years or so, and then it was resumed. It was restored as an annual observance. Now, during much of the history of Israel and Judah, they were not faithful. And there were many years when the people of Israel and Judah did not keep the Passover. In Second Chronicles, in verse 30, we read of Hezekiah, one of the few righteous kings of Judah, who restored the temple service after a period of where it had fallen into disrepair and being misused. And Hezekiah restored the temple service and reinstituted the Passover. In Second Chronicles 30 and verse 1, it says, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover of the Lord God of Israel. Now remember that the Passover had to be slain at the door of the tabernacle or the door of the the temple after it had been built where the altar was the blood poured out at the base of the altar some of it sprinkled on the altar and so forth so he wrote letters to the people of Judah and he also wrote letters to the people of Ephraim and Manasseh up in Israel remember that the land had been split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And Ephraim and Manasseh here is probably put for the entire body of people that were still in northern Israel in Israel at that time in the northern kingdom. This probably occurred, I don't believe the Bible says specifically exactly when it occurred, but it probably occurred sometime not long before the final destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel by the Assyrians, and that occurred in 721 B.C. or thereabouts. By that time, many of the Israelites in the northern kingdom had already been carried into captivity because there were a series of invasions by the Assyrians, and each time they would 
conquer some of the areas of Israel and carry some of the inhabitants into captivity, if not all of them in particular areas. So it's very likely that at this time, many of the people of Israel had already been carried into captivity, but the remnant was invited to keep the Passover in Jerusalem by Hezekiah. As we read in Second Chronicles 30 and verse 5, so they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all, all Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and that is from the southern extremities of Judah to the northern extremity of Israel, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Notice they had not kept the Passover for a long time. Then the runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king, children of Israel, return to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you. So notice he's saying that he will return to the remnant of you, indicating that some had already been taken into captivity. You who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, so he gave them up to desolation as you see. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord your brethren, and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive so they may come back to the, this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So the runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but they laughed at them and mocked them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So evidently the message was sent to all of the tribes that remained present in Israel because it mentions here not only Manasseh, but Asher and some of the Zebulun tribe came to Jerusalem in response to this invitation. So the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. Now many people of very great assembly gathered at Jerusalem to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month. They arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem. They took away all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. These were the incense altars to various idols that had been set up in Jerusalem and probably in the temple as well. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They stood in their place according to their custom. According to the law of Moses, the man of God, the priest sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levites, for there were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves Therefore the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. For a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. 
Yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. Obviously, this was not the accepted procedure under normal circumstances, but these were not normal circumstances. And God had mercy and allowed them, even though some of them, particularly from the northern tribes, had not been ceremonially cleansed properly, they were permitted to keep the Passover anyway. And notice that the blood of the Passover was sprinkled on the altar. That's where it was killed, before the altar of the Lord. Later on in the history of Judah, and Judah would swing back and forth from brief periods of returning to God, depending on who their king was, usually, and then falling back into idolatry. But after a period of being sunk into idolatrous worship, once again, a faithful king was established on the throne of Judah, a king by the name of Josiah. And Josiah destroyed the pagan places of worship and the idols out of the land. And he renewed, uh, once again, the keeping of the Passover. We read in 2 Kings chapter 23, beginning with verse 21, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover of the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book of Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to the law of Moses. Nor after him did any arise like him. So Josiah was unique in respect to the fidelity with which he observed the laws of God. Now this was late in the history of Judah. There wasn't a great deal of time after this that once again evil kings prevailed in the house of Judah. The nation returned to its idolatrous ways and was itself conquered by the Babylonians and taken into captivity. But Josiah had restored, at least for a time, the worship of God, the God of Israel, and the Passover. The people were, as I said, not so long after that, taken into captivity. And they endured 70 years of captivity, and then they were released and allowed to return to Judah, the land of Canaan, where they had been given their inheritance. Some of them returned, and they restored the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And after the second temple had been built, after the temple had been rebuilt, called the second temple, 
and dedicated, the Passover was kept in Jerusalem once again. In Ezra 6 and verse 19, says the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover in the 14th day of the first month. By the way, we read earlier in the case of Josiah, they kept it in the second month because they had not been properly cleansed at the during the first month, so they kept the Passover in the second month on that occasion. Here they keep the Passover on the 14th day of the first month for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean, so they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren priests and for themselves. Then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. In other words, who had forsaken their idolatrous customs and separated themselves from the other nations who were uncircumcised and idolatrous. So the Passover survived during that period of the Old Covenant. At times it was not kept. Other times it was kept. From the time of the Passover we just read about, kept by the people of Judah after they had returned from captivity, the Passover was kept most of the time. From that time on, there was a period during the time that Antiochus Epiphanes took control of the temple and defiled the temple and was in control of the sanctuary for a period of a few years. It was not kept, but then after that the temple was cleansed and the keeping of the Passover resumed. And up to the time of Jesus Christ, the Passover was being kept in Jerusalem every year. We read of Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, going to Jerusalem to keep the Passover when, when Jesus was a child. And we read of other occasions when Jesus went to keep the feast in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover and other feasts. Jesus, however, had foretold that the temple would be destroyed. We read in Matthew 24, beginning with verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So Jesus prophesied that all of the buildings of the temple would be destroyed. And this was literally fulfilled. In 70 AD, the Romans came in and they had laid siege to Jerusalem. They conquered the city and they destroyed the temple. Later on, they plowed the area where the temple buildings had been and completely demolished everything and actually set up a pagan temple in its place in about 135 A.D. So this prophecy was literally fulfilled to the letter. Jerusalem would no longer be for a time, the focal point of God's worship. There would be no keeping the Passover in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jews, while they keep the Passover, they do not offer animal sacrifices for the Passover because, again, there's no temple and there's no altar, no functioning altar or functioning priesthood. So while they keep the Passover, they, they keep it with 
unleavened bread and the other accoutrements of the Passover. They, they have uh, meat at the Passover, but it's not considered a sacrifice. The old system of animal sacrifices had been taken away, and that was concluded decisively with the destruction of the temple. And no longer are we sanctified by the blood of animal sacrifices, but we are sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. As we read in Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 8, Previously saying, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, this is a quotation from one of the Psalms, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So God took away the first system, the system that incorporated animal sacrifices killed at the altar, a physical altar in, in Jerusalem. That has been taken away, but it has been replaced by something else of which it was typical. There are parallels between the old and the new. There is type and anti-type. The Passover lamb, the lambs that were killed, were a type of Jesus Christ. They were intended to portray His sacrifice, His death, which alone can atone for sins. So there are parallels in type and anti-type involved in the symbols and procedures of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, Passover, but there are also significant differences in how the Passover is administered under the New Covenant. Our guide for partaking of the bread and wine of the Passover service consists primarily of the example and instructions found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 26 through 30, and companion scriptures in the other gospel accounts, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, where it discusses the keeping of the Passover. Now, we're not going to take the time today to read those scriptures, but if you read them, you will find that the bread and wine were to be taken at a particular time, in a particular setting, in a particular order, and with a particular purpose in mind. That is, they were to be taken as a solemn memorial of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ as our Passover sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, it says, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Our Passover sacrifice is Jesus Christ. And the bread and the wine that we partake of is symbolic. is a symbolic reminder of that sacrifice. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, verse, beginning with verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body. In other words, this is, symbolizes my body. 
which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. By the way, he did not mean that that was literally his body as some churches teach. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. In other words, uh, you, you show forth, as it could be translated, you, you illustrate through this ordinance, you portray the Lord's death, the sacrifice that Jesus made. And there's also the foot washing part of the service, which was not a part of the Old Covenant service, but is a part of the New Covenant service patterned after the example and instructions of John 13. The Passover service is intended to be an orderly and solemn affair, an orderly and solemn affair not yet not lacking in Christ-like joy. It is a solemn affair, but it also should be one that has an element of joy to it. Notice what Jesus himself said on the very night of the Passover when he was just not too long before he was to be seized to be taken and crucified. He said to his disciples in John 15, verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So expressions of joy, quiet expressions of joy, are not inappropriate for the Passover. It's fine to smile at people, to greet others in a friendly and outgoing manner. However, remember it is a solemn occasion. It's, it's to memorialize Christ's death. And inappropriate jesting and frivolity are not fitting for the Passover service. And so we need to observe it in a dignified and appropriate manner. Unlike the Old Covenant Passover, that of the New Covenant is not and is not intended to be a meal. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 22, Paul wrote to the Corinthians concerning, and he was writing concerning the Passover, Why do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in, in this? I do not praise you. He went on to say in verse 34, If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And Paul pointed out in that same chapter, if one treats the symbols of the body and blood of Christ carelessly or disrespectfully, he brings judgment on himself. The symbols consist of unleavened bread and natural wine, not fortified or carbonated wine, but natural wine, red wine such as Burgundy or Merlot or other varieties of natural red wine can be used for the purpose of the Passover. As with the type under the Levitical system, where only those circumcised were male, if, if they were males, were eligible to partake of the Passover, only baptized members of the church are permitted to partake of the Passover. Children were included in the Passover meal under the Old Covenant. But Jesus partook of His last Passover 
where he introduced the new covenant Passover ordinance with adult disciples. And the instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 clearly imply that the Passover is for baptized members of the church. Also in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16, Paul wrote, The cup of blessing which we bless, he's speaking here of the Passover, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So the Passover symbols are a communion where we are symbolically joined together with the body of Christ as symbols of the new covenant which we enter into upon repentance and baptism. It is a communion observed by those who are a part of the fellowship of those who have entered into the new covenant relationship with God. Generally, that implies mature adults or at least mature enough to make that commitment. We generally don't baptize people who have not reached that age where they can make a serious commitment of that kind and be expected to keep it. So only baptized members of the church today partake of the Passover. Now, on occasion, we've made exceptions to allow someone contemplating baptism to attend the service without partaking of the bread and wine, but generally this is something that is only rarely done. Someone who's maybe been counseling for baptism and for whatever reason has not been quite ready to be baptized, but generally this is something the pastor would make a decision about. We don't just open it up to any and everybody. So we see that while the Passover remains as an everlasting ordinance, the manner of its keeping under the new covenant at the present time is appropriate for the circumstances that now prevail. It's not the same Passover that was kept on the night that God passed over the houses or the death angel passed over the houses in Egypt. That is, it's not kept in exactly the same way. But it is kept with the same idea and the same meaning. Actually, the meaning is even much more complete and full under the New Covenant Passover. So, I hope by focusing on the Passover and its history that it has encouraged us to be thinking seriously about what we're going to be doing on, on Passover evening. Let's endeavor to keep the Passover with deepened awareness and appreciation.